Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, listeners. This is Season 3, Episode 6, brought to you by Lifetree at PayingRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. My name is Rick. I'm author of the Jesus Centered Life, senior editor of the Jesus Centered Bible, and the author of a soon-to-be-released book this coming this spring that you've heard me talk about already, uh, Spiritual Grit, and I'm here with the Becky Nader, Hello. the podcaster in crime. This is a momentous episode, I have to say, because... Uh, Becky and I, you know, we're we're like uh, thrown together sort of accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's different apocryphal versions of how it came to be that that Becky is here doing this with me, but my version is actually the truthful one. <laughs> um, so let me let me just go to that I one. I can't wait to hear this. So so I had this idea um, back in the day about having a podcast that is actually totally different than the one we're doing right now. <laughs> I had this, I thought I had this great idea for this podcast. This is true. And I threw it out there. And Becky, because she's like brilliant, she's a brilliant person. She's not just a brilliant marketer, but she she thinks brilliant thoughts. She said, actually, I think the podcast should be more like this, Rick. And and you're gonna need a like a co-host. You can't do this alone. How about me? She it was kind of like that. And uh she she didn't say it in like a you know, like a cheerleader would say it. Like, no, it was like, probably more bossy. Oh, I, I don't know if it was bossy. It was more like <laughs> forthright. Let's just call it forthright. Forthright. Okay. Yeah, that's a much better. That's very, very forthright. And and then she said, "Oh, and I've never done this before." <laughs> so look at what happened, though. I mean, uh, we've had so many people, so many people graciously posting on our Pigs page, which is uh, our uh, little private Facebook page for those of you who are fans of this podcast. There's, by the way, uh, uh, if you go to our podcast page on paying ridiculous attention to Jesus.com, you'll see how to to become a member of the Pigs page. But people are uh, posting there, uh, as Becky has talked about, her journey taking her away from uh, what she's doing now and into the great unknown, into a new adventure, uh, many people have been posting and talking about how much the sound of our voices has, has meant to you over the years, and uh, very much honoring Becky for the uh, powerful and prominent and unique role that she has played on this. And, you know, all good things come out of relationship, and this podcast has come out of Becky's and my relationship, and and how uh, our kindred spirits have overlapped in our pursuit of Jesus— and she has brought such a remarkable point of view and perspective and voice into this conversation that I I just don't know what I'm going to do now. So that's pretty much where we are every day. We say to Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to do now, and, he, and we trust him. So that's what both Becky and I are doing. We're trusting him into the future. And so today's podcast is going to be exploring another kind of facet of spiritual grit, which is essentially uh, how Jesus grows our core strength in us, what He is doing in our lives to help us grow and mature and have the strength we need to not only live our life, but partner with Him and His mission. And His mission is to set captives free in the world, and He's invited us into that it's kind of his family business. That's what the Trinity does. That's if you saw, you know, like a sign above the family business of the Trinity, it would say uh, setting captives free. And so that's what he's invited us into, and we need strength to do that. So all this year, we're going to be exploring how does Jesus build strength in us by examining and sinking into the ways he interacted with other people. And sometimes we call these things. These, uh, these strengths that he's building in us, we call them spiritual practices or, or core spiritual practices. And we're going to be exploring one today, and then uh, three more in the upcoming weeks. But uh, this one today is, is a little bit unusual. We're going to explore the strength of lament. So w- lament is an interesting word, and it's full of kind of overtones of sorrow and grief, 
it sounds like a kind of a word we won't we don't want to camp on very long. We don't want to live in lament, but I think that lament is a crucial aspect of our life because our life is full of beginnings and endings. And we thought we would focus on on lament for this issue because that's where we're at today. It's a lament of something that is coming to an end, at least in this form, and an expectation of what life is on the other side of this. So so you know that in the last uh, three episodes, Becky has been very vulnerably sharing part of her journey and what led her to this place, and now we're sitting on the precipice of this. Uh, uh, by tomorrow, she will uh, have moved on into the new adventure of her life, and uh, this is actually the last day I'm going to be here in the office with her. So I did, in fact, bring in a, a special trophy presentation for he the Becky Nader today. He did. He yeah. did. So Rick brought me a trophy, and it's pink. It is um, also it's pink, and it has this very graceful, beautiful woman on top. She's kind of doing sort of like a maybe a yoga pose of some sort. And she looks just very peaceful and relaxed. And he tried to engrave himself this into the trophy, but it looks like I, it didn't really work. Yeah, I, I don't know if you uh, guys know what a Dremel tool is, but I have a Dremel <laughs> tool that I, I, I thought maybe I could use that to engrave on her plaque. And it kind of took on a life of its own as soon as it hit the metal and started, you know, uh, spelling words in Sanskrit. Um, so. I actually, I, I actually did engrave all of the words I wanted to on there, and then you I did. looked at that, and it looked like um, somehow what? a toddler a had toddler written. A, had decided to. <laughs> that's right. Had scratched it out with a nail or something. So I had to overwrite my engraving with a permanent <laughs> marker. So it looks, shall we say, homemade. It is homemade, and it says the Becky Nader Grace plus grit. So this will be going on my journey with me for sure. It means grace and grit. Oh, grace. I didn't have room to put spell out <laughs> and. Room to spell the editor. Grace and grit. <laughs> yeah, to do a plus. <laughs> That's right. I just ran out of uh, metal plate space. You know what? If you're on the pigs page, you will be getting a picture of this because <laughs> this is definitely a memory that you're going to want to remember. Yes, so yeah. look for it. I will put it on the picture. These page. are these are the sorts of trophies, by the way, that you don't throw away. No, you they're, keep they're, them forever. They're, they're permanent trophies. So, so and it's and it is emblematic that those two words, grace and grit, really do describe Becky and how she's influenced my life and the lives of so many other people. So, even though my trophy looks pathetic. The, the the thought and heart behind it is not. Adam doesn't think it looks <laughs> pathetic. He likes it a lot. He's nodding in approval. So, and, and in fact, you know, marking these moments when we're transitioning from one place to another place, and and if we're honest, we recognize there's a lot of grief involved in leaving behind the one place. Even if the thing that you're going into that's new is full of promise and life, the thing that you're leaving behind to properly honor that, it, you have to slow down and pay attention. You can't uh, blow through it. So in, in part, <laughs> that's for me, in my own eccentric, messy way, giving Becky a little trophy is my way of saying, hey, something really important happened here, and and you changed my life, and I appreciate that. So that's what this is about. So to to really kind of understand what lament is and why it's so important for a life of strength, that life that Jesus has called us to, we have to kind of get our minds around what the word lament means in the first place. So uh, the Becky Nader is going to talk a little bit about that. So lament, and this came up on the pigs page when we were, um, when we've been talking about spiritual grit and what does it take to um, have spiritual grit, that's going to continue to be a theme on this podcast with or without me. And so when we think about core strength in our spiritual walk with God, we naturally gravitate towards spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible reading and Bible study, memorization, et cetera. And, and so Rick, in that stream on the Pigs page, he pointed out some other core strengths that we don't often think about, and one of them is lament. And if you're not familiar with the term lament, that's okay. Not everybody is familiar with it. So I, I did want to just kind of 
talk a little bit about where lament comes from. And if you're familiar with the book of Psalms in the Bible, which you probably are, um, the Psalms are just such a great reading. They have so many different classifications of different postures of worship and praise and coming to God. But actually one of the largest, actually the largest um, theme in the Psalms is lamenting Psalms. And there's a combination of community lamenting Psalms where people are in community and they're lamenting together. And then there's Psalms where you're lamenting alone. So this is a prevalent theme of, of Psalms. David was often lamenting. He was led into into times where he ha- was forced to lament. He was he forced himself into times where he was lamenting um, and coming back to God. And so those Psalms are great to read. If I, We'll put a little link. I found a, a website that classified the Psalms so you could find which Psalms are in different lamenting categories. So you, if you want to check that out for yourself, I'll put it on there. But the definition of lamenting, lamenting is expressing great sorrow or regret and even grief about something or someone as in a loss of a life. This lamenting could be verbally expressed in wailing, weeping, crying. To lament means that something horrific has likely happened in their life and it moves the person deep within their soul and it is outwardly expressed in such a way that it is demonstrative and can't be overseen by others. You see a lot of examples of lamenting at funerals. Um, So if you've been to a funeral, that's where you often will see lamenting. And I wanted to point out the, the word outwardly expressed. I think that's an important part of lamenting is that we outwardly express our lament for others and also for what's happening in our own life. So I thought I would read just a short, small example from the Psalms. This is Psalms chapter 3, and it's just an example of one of David's laments. Um, So I'm just going to read it. O Lord, I have so many enemies, so many are against me, so many are saying God will never rescue him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face, shattered the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. Hmm. And you hear that in the end, what you realize, what David was so good at is, is being raw. Fiercely raw. (laughs) This is, you know, this is one of the great benefits of having the Psalms in the Bible is that often people think that the Bible and the Christian life is a sanitized, sort of um, spiffed up, do-gooder kind of way of living, and actually the Psalms show you in all of its rawness what life is really like. And David is writing these Psalms out of dark places, real dark places. places. And much of his life was spent on the run. Uh, you know, before he became king, and even after he became king, he was always in danger, and, and uh, sometimes his his own choices led to uh, dark spirals in his life, and in contending with God in a very raw way. And that's what you hear in some of that. One of the things I think about relative to lament is the reason why learning to lament is actually an expression of spiritual grit is that uh, we all have griefs in our lives. Um, our lives match the the seasons that we see around us in nature. We move from spring to summer to fall to winter, not in a kind of a rhythmic cadence that you can predict, but we move between these seasons in microversions and then long seasons and then short seasons. So these seasons are embedded in all of creation around us, and they're embedded that way to help us remember that these seasons also exist within our soul that we go between these things all the time in our life. And the reason why lament is a strength is that when we move into fall and winter, when something begins to die and then is dead, and we're in a season where persevering through the season of the dead, which you would call winter, that we need strength in order to cope with that in a way that honors the truth and honors our relationship with God, not in false or um, immature ways that we that we often are tempted to deal with our grief and our lament. We can often lash out in our grief, uh, in anger. Uh, 
you know, they, they always say that um, anger is a grief misdirected, and I think that's really true. So sometimes we use methods and strategies to deal with our grief that are actually destructive to ourselves and to others, and that's because we can't imagine the strength that we would need to actually grieve the thing that is that is so deeply so deeply hard for us. So uh, I, I'm reminded uh, when we think about uh, the seasons and that lament is tied to winter. I think about uh, the the Chronicles of Narnia, the the series of six fantasy books that C.S. Lewis wrote. And the first one is the most well-known, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And that story is the story of uh, four uh, British schoolchildren who accidentally find uh, a hidden door into another world called Narnia. And in this world of Narnia, there's permanent winter when these kids arrive. Now, they're used to winter, but they quickly find out from those who live there that winter has been going on for years and years, and that there's an evil witch who has come to rule over this world, and all of the people who are living under this the, the constraints of permanent winter are hoping that the great King Aslan will return and defeat the witch and bring the, the cycle of seasons back to, to Narnia. But when these children arrive... They're plunked down into the middle of a permanent winter, and you get this sense from the uh, early on in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe of what that would feel like to be in a place where you never have the hope of spring, that things are dead and have stayed dead, and that's all that you can expect from next day to the next day, and, and what kind of longing that would produce in you for the seasons to take over again, for winter to turn into spring. So... The rhythms we see in nature are our teachers and our mentors and our helpers helping us understand the kingdom of God. The reason we have seasons is God's way of sort of planting in our very environment the truth about how things work. So in John chapter 12, Jesus says this, listen carefully to his disciples, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried... It sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. That's from Eugene Peterson's The Message version of it. That's John 12, 24, if you want to look at that. So Jesus is is basically, in a blunt way, describing the purpose of winter, the purpose of fall into winter, that that a seed that stays outside of the ground is not buried, is sort of not buried underneath the ground where you can't see it anymore, just stays a seed. But if you bury it, if it, if it dies then underneath the ground something happens. Life springs, and new life grows. So he has connected death to life here, and he's really mimicking what happens in these change of seasons. So what do these change of seasons look like for us on a practical level? So they can be just long seasons of hardship, or in my case, I've had, you know, I would say a five-year season of loss of important relationships in my life, a, a succession of people that I have worked with that have left or moved on to other things that were—these people are very important to me in my life, and I've had five years of loss of those people that has been unusual um, in the whole 30 years that I've worked here in a leadership role at Group. Uh, I've never had a five-year stretch like this, and and here, this is Becky's last podcast, and she is one more of those people in my life that that I'm grieving. And so I've had a five-year season of grief in relationships that uh, I still have relationships with them, but I don't see these people every day. I don't work with them, and so there's there's a grief in that. There's There can be seasons of testing in our lives, seasons of job loss or marital issues or challenges at work or challenges in friendships. And these seasons... I would call sort of the normal seasons of life, but then we also have sort of catastrophic winters that happen to us where or you could call them uh, like a wildfire burning through a forest, and it burns everything down in a catastrophic way. It's not a slow-moving season. It's, a, it's a, like a lightning bolt. So the wildfire comes through, and it burns things down and leaves nothing in its wake, and it, and it looks like the landscape is desecrated. And yet, even with that, we have something embedded in the natural world 
that gives us a hint of what's really going on in our own souls when something like this happens in our life. Because when a forest fire goes through a forest and burns everything down, um, there is still life under the ground. In fact, this is nature's way of rejuvenating forests. When it burns down overgrown forests, what grows up instead are these sprouts and seeds that bring new life to the forest, where the forest is no longer choked with un- underbrush. It, it brings a new forest. It, of course, it takes a long time for this to happen, but underneath the charred ground, that blackened ground, are new seeds that are waiting to grow up. And within a year or two of that forest fire, you start to see these young new sprouts growing up in the blackened landscape. So these kinds of catastrophic seasons of fall into winter uh, could be things like a divorce or a child who has a, a major illness, or even a child who dies from a major illness, or a death in a family, or losing a job, or a major devastation that uh, happens to you in your social relationships or at your work. The, these are the kinds of catastrophic things that are really hard to stomach, and we definitely need the strength to grieve and to lament in the midst of these, and not go to destructive places in the midst of the, st- the strength of the emotions we're feeling. So so these big moments are, are when we most need spiritual grit, not just to move through the moment, but to grieve well what we've lost. So, so of course, uh, if you've been listening the last month, um, as Becky's been sharing uh, bits and parts of her story, you know that she's had one of these catastrophic things happen in her life. She's moved from the normal seasons of spring and summer and fall and winter, where we experience joy and life, and then seasons of loss as well at the same time, and then they and then they turn into spring again and summer. And these normal seasons, she's lived in those, but in the last four months in particular, she's had a, a wildfire kind of race through her life. So so, uh, Becky, I'd like for you to tell a little bit, uh, update us on your story of where it is now and how your story relates to fall into winter in a sort of a, a, a wildfire way, a lightning bolt kind of way right now. So if you listened about three episodes back, you know, I had mentioned that the the things that happened in my life when I was getting counsel from experts on how to handle this, they were telling me things like, leave everything behind. Go get away as fast as you can. And so we've been intentionally kind of vague about that so that for the last month I've been inching and working towards getting to where that that was and doing that in the safest way possible. And that um, included last weekend me moving out of my house I had to watch a moving truck drive out of my driveway um, with my, all of my belongings, um, and I don't know when I'll see them again, and that was really a hard thing for me. This week, tomorrow, I'm going to leave my job um, and the security of having a job, so that's going to be another really hard moment. Today is the last day I'm going to do one of the most favorite things that I've done in the last few years which is uh, record this podcast. For the last month, I've been saying goodbye to my friends um, and my support group, to their kids who have spent more time with me than their aunts and uncles and who adore and love me and who just don't understand why I can't just live in their bedroom with them. That's been offered multiple times. They were like, we can get bunk beds. This is easily solved. Um, (laughs) I was even offered half of a drawer. I have room. I don't even have enough clothes to fill this whole drawer. You can obviously put your clothes here, Becky. Uh, Oh, I thought you meant you were offered half a drawer to sleep in. No, half a drawer to put my clothes in. It's not a great offer. (laughs) Um, and this last week I have spent the last few nights at a safe house amongst other women and families who, who have also had their lives desecrated trying to figure out a plan and what to do next and who don't have the wonderful support system that I do. Um, so that, that has been the real reality of where I'm heading. Um, because the, the reality is that I do have to leave everything behind and I do have to go kind of be a vagabond for the next year. So 
down by the river. Yeah. <laughs> um, In our so, van down by the river. Yeah. I don't really know where I'll be. I'm just kind of going to let God guide where where that's going to take me and where I'll be, um, where I'm heading and where I'll go next. I'll follow whatever. Um, opportunities come my way, but it's a great unknown. I'm in a total, I, everything is gone and, and I am just, just me and God and wherever he's going to take me, that's all that's left here. So. And you know, uh, Becky mentioned uh, the, that, uh, this circle of relationships that she's also um, saying goodbye to in one way or another, but it's also that circle of relationships that has affirmed and confirmed the directions that she's going, um, you know, we we need each other, and as we head into these seasons of our life, we need each other to be sort of like those um, bumper guards at the bowling alley. <laughs> you know, when you're not a very good bowler, you need the bumper guards to go up so that you don't roll gutter balls all the time. And community is like those bumper guards; they go up, and you can roll your ball this way and that way, but uh, they bump then into your community who surrounds you and can get, reflect back to you what's true and what they sense the Spirit of Jesus is also um, where, where, the, where the Spirit of Jesus is guiding. And so as Becky has pursued this new adventure in her life and leaned into Jesus to know what to do, sometimes she's had these uh, wild and crazy ideas about what this could be. But her community has surrounded her and said, as wild and crazy as that sounds, that's the right thing. We sense it. It's the right thing for you. And so that community is is really important um, as you're moving through something like this, not just to lament with you, but to be the bumper guards on your on your bowling alley. And, and uh, I was thinking as you were talking, Becky, about what else does this look like uh, in our lives when, when these things happen? We've been following your story, and it's like uh, it, it's hard to fathom sometimes. And I'm sure that there are like, like that moment on your driveway where you're seeing the moving truck pull away. These are indelible images that we have. That if we go back to them, we feel this pang, this immediate pang. And my wife and I left our our longtime church about four years ago through a long series of circumstances that were very painful for both of us, and we tried to hang on and hang in and. In the end, we, we just couldn't. We felt like Jesus said, it's time. I don't want you to work this hard any longer. It's time for you to leave. But there are many moments of the day where I'm just minding my own, doing my job or having a conversation with somebody, and an image of something that was dear to me at that church, something people and things that I did and responsibilities I had there and relationships I had and so many incredible experiences I had there. One of those images will flash into my head, and I'm just I'm almost. Uh, it's almost like getting hit with a stun gun. You just stop, and you can't think about anything else. And this this grief kind of wells up in you, you know, along with a longing for what was lost. Like it's 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 not a rational thing that says, "Oh, I wish I could get back on the path and reclaim that." We have a sense that that's never coming back again. We know it's true, but there's something in us that rebels against that truth. The why must it have lo been lost like that? Why why is this happening? And these are the moments that that grab us, and then we move on into our life again. But it's not like we leave these things completely behind us. They they become part of us. So lament, grief, is something that Jesus really wants us to learn so that in these seasons of life that are difficult in this way, that we move through them in the way he created us to move through them. So I thought what we'd do is, is kind of examine the on-ramp that Jesus gave his disciples. I love these, these four chapters in the book of John, 15, 16, 17, and then we're going to skip to John 20 as well. But I, lo I love this 15, 16, 17 on-ramp into the crucifixion, because um, Jesus is so particular about the way he begins to relate with his disciples. It's different from the way he related with them before, and, and he's starting to help them understand what it's going to feel like and be like to move through the season of fall, where things are dying, into a season of winter where things are dead. 
where there doesn't appear to be any hope, where uh, the thing that you thought was going to live forever is now isn't, and what do you do now? And he knows this is coming for his disciples. He knows they've experienced spring and summer of the excitement of discovering Jesus, slowly understanding that he is the expected Messiah, watching him do the most extraordinary things that have ever happened on earth, and they got to be eyewitnesses to these things, to be inside this, to be one of the twelve that were invited relationally inside to this whole experience. What a rush! If you've ever been inside something really great, that's what those disciples felt like. We used to do a a national youth ministry conference called the Simply Youth Ministry Conference that was took everything, every ounce of our, our our team's ability to pull off, and we had a wide circle of volunteer youth workers who helped us pull it off as well. And the feeling at the end of that thing, at the end of those three or four days every year, was just this sense that, wow, we all got to be inside something great, something beautiful, something that was transforming. A lot of these people that volunteered, I used to scratch my head and think, why are you working so hard on something that's not your job? You're just giving of yourself in such extraordinary ways. And what I learned from talking to them was that the the feeling of being inside and contributing to something great, you, you almost can't match it. Well, that's what these disciples felt during the spring and summer of their time with Jesus. And there's just this desire to want to hang on to that. Just it's a human desire to want to hang on to the summer, but fall is coming, and uh, the the fall where things begin to die, and there's a beauty in them in their dying, but then winter comes and it finishes the job, and so Jesus knows this is coming, and so he's trying to prepare his disciples for this journey, and so what Becky and I are going to do is just kind of skip through these these four chapters, just point out some things that are important to pay attention to that Jesus did with his disciples. The first thing in John 15 is he explains in a kind of a blunt way that he's using metaphoric language here, but he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches, and unless you stay attached to me, you can't do anything. So he's, he's trying to prepare the ground for them to understand that the most important thing for you to understand as you head into fall and winter, is to stay attached to me. Do not detach yourself from me, because I'm your source of life. Here's what he says, I'm the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Now here's where he, here's the kicker. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And then he reiterates himself three or four times in the context of telling them, look, I'm telling you this because I love you. I love you to the core of who I am, and I'm urging you, please remain in me, because if you cut yourself off from me, your ability to produce fruit will go away. And he's also hinting it to them that it's not going to be the same kind of remaining <laughs> when the circumstances that are about to happen happen. He's no longer going to be physically present to them. So he's he, when you lose somebody's physical presence, what, what Jesus is trying to say is, but I will still be with you. You will still, in fact, you will be able to connect with me and attach to me in a way you can't now because the Spirit will be coming, and the Spirit will allow you to attach yourself relationally to me at a deep, deep level. It's in this same portion where Jesus says, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. He's, he's saying, my heart is open to you, um, and I want your hearts to be open to me. There's another section in there, Becky, I don't, uh, I don't know if you're looking at this right now, but in our Jesus Center Bible here, the section is labeled, The World's Hatred. Mm -hmm. And then he, so he kind of pivots after telling them, remain in me, I love you, uh, don't, uh, don't stray from me, um, here's, here's what I've done to make it possible for you to have an intimate love relationship with me, and then he pivots into this section called the world's hatred. What do you make of that, Becky? Why would he pivot in that way to talk about what's going to happen to them? 
he's warning them. I mean, this is a time where he's he's saying, look, you're about to experience a catastrophic event. And so I need you to keep these things really at the top of your mind. And one of them is that the world hates me. And in verse 23, he says, anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, and yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in scripture. They hated me without cause. Um, and then he, he starts into, which is what the, the next part of uh, John chapter 16 is, he says, but I'm going to send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. I think it's important to pause here for a second, because we're talking in terms of lament and how Jesus prepares us to lament and grieve the seasons of our life. So first he's saying, I will be with you. Um, remain in me, I urge you to do this, and listen, here's what's going to happen. Things are going to get bad for you. In other places, he, all, he warns the disciples specifically about difficult things they're about to face, and, he's, and it's unvarnished. He says, the blunt truth is, here's what's going to happen to you, and you should expect this to happen. It's not an aberration. You should expect this to happen because of your attachment to me, and therefore... Because I'm implying here, I'm not going to take you out of these circumstances. You are going to move through winter. But what I'm promising you is that the presence of life in the midst of your winter, the same promise of a bulb that's underneath the kind of uh, frosted ground during winter that we know is there and it was planted in the fall, and it's going to grow in the spring, but we ha- we, it seems impossible, miraculous, that that could happen. <laughs> that this bulb underneath the frozen ground could come to life in the spring, but this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, as you move into your winter, that I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, who will be the life underneath the surface for you. And, and the life of the Holy Spirit is going to bring new growth, a garden in your life, um, but you won't see it during the winter. So it's important for him to say the brutal reality about winter coming, but then, as you said, Becky, that the, this whole chapter 16, he's trying to tell them how beautiful the coming of the Holy Spirit is going to be. It's the, it's the promise of life underneath the frosty cover of ground. What else do you notice there in, in chapter 16? Anything else that sticks out to you there? Well, he says, um, instead you grieve because of what I've told you, but in fact it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. Hmm. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And then he goes on to talk about what the advocate is going to do. He's going to you know, convict the world of judgment, but he's jumping down into verse 12. He says, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he's he's saying, look, there's so much more that I want to pass on to you, you know, and when you're, you experience this when people get terminal illness sentences, like you've got six months to live, you see them kind of passing things on. I need you to know this, or, or they really need to tell you how much they care about you, or they want to pass on this thing to you. This is what Jesus is doing is he's, he's like, I, I, I don't have enough time to tell you everything that I want to tell you right now, but the, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to advocate for you, and he's going to help you understand the truth of what's behind what I'm trying to explain. Yeah, there, there's two important things happening here, too, uh, in chapter 16 that I see. One is that his promise to us is not circumstantial security, meaning I will fix all your circumstances so that spring will come. His promise is of his presence. When Mary and Martha, in our last episode last week, confront Jesus, and Martha, Martha says, uh, you know, Lazarus wouldn't have died if you'd been here sooner, Jesus, and Jesus says, well, he'll, he'll be raised in the resurrection, and, and Martha basically says, yeah, years from now, whenever that is, and whatever that is, sure he will be, but that doesn't solve anything now. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the source of all life, and here what Jesus is promising his disciples is the source of all life to walk with them into their winter, that he will be with them, uh, springing up into life with them. And the other thing that, uh, that 
In the second part of this chapter, he uses another metaphor to describe what's about to happen to them. He compares it to childbirth <laughs> and, and how painful and even desperate it is for a mother to give birth to a child. We have two kids. I watched my wife go through this. I can't imagine what a almost a, a desperate, hopeless feeling you have at certain moments when you're in delivery because it's so painful. It's so otherworldly. <laughs> but Jesus is comparing that to what comes of that, which is a brand new life. Again, here's a rhythm in our human life that speaks to the rhythm in the kingdom of God that in the midst of the, the pain and desperation, there is life being birthed underneath the surface. There's life being born. And so he's trying to tell his disciples, look, um, it's just like this. It's going to feel like this to you, but I'm telling you, new life is going to be born in this. He's trying to help them have the right perspective as they move into this season of winter. And then we get to chapter 17, where he does something that he doesn't very often do, uh, almost the entire chapter is him simply praying out loud to his Father, and he's praying out loud because he wants his disciples to hear his conversation with his Father. What are some things that stick out to you there in, in chapter 17, Becky? Uh, so in verse 6, he says, I have revealed to you the ones you gave me from the world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything I, ha I have as a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. Um, I just love that part because he's saying, okay, I did it. I told them who... I am, and they believe who I am. I've passed this on to them, and I'm, you know, he's essentially saying, I'm ready for this next part um, hmm. yeah. of where I have to go. That's really good. He's, he's kind of giving an account to his father in front of his disciples, saying, hey, I've, I'm about to accomplish the mission that we came up with here. And uh, he spends most of this prayer advocating for his friends with his father. Hmm. So he's, he's doing this out loud so that the disciples know the Trinity is for them. And when Jesus advocates for his friends, he's saying, basically, they're about to go through something really tough, but I've not lost a single one, except for the one that was already preordained to lose, <laughs> which is a crazy mystery there with Judas. But the, he, he's basically saying, I've kept them all, and now I want them to be kept after I leave again. So he's advocating on behalf of his friends and living this out in front of them to show them, look, I'm, this isn't just empty words. I'm talking with my father now about how to care for you going forward, because you matter to me. So he's once again preparing them with hope. And in, in, in some ways, lament means to acknowledge the brutal reality in our life, to not sugarcoat it, to not spin it, but to name it as, as what it is while simultaneously holding on to the hope that is under the surface. When we make believe that the hope is on top of the surface in winter, so sometimes, like we said in last week's podcast, people will say in the midst of these catastrophic events, well, at least, mm -hmm. you know, you still have your health, Becky. At least you still have your health. It's an attempt to kind of stick a potted plant on the frozen surface of the winter, and say, look, there's still, a, there's still some growth there, but that's not actually being honest. To be honest means I'm in winter right now, but my hope is not on the top of the surface, it's under the surface. My hope is in the cycle of life that is happening underneath this season of, of death, and that spring is coming. Um, and that's actually the beautiful picture that that uh, C.S. Lewis paints in the in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the coming of Aslan, the the king who represents Jesus into the story. He returns into Narnia, and his intention is to is to do away with winter, to to make winter go away, to allow the seasons to cycle through again. And so his his arrival is also the promise of spring to the people in Narnia who've been. Uh, desperately trying to survive under winter. The promise of spring means new growth, that the permafrost will melt away, that the snow will melt and green will grow, and uh, that's the beautiful 
progression of that story in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the arrival of spring again in the land of Narnia. This is Jesus' promise to us, but part of that promise is, look, um, I want you to embrace your brutal reality and, and call it for what it is. Name it for what it is. Grieve it for what it is. And underneath that, cling to the hope that, that I've given you. There's one other chapter I want to just briefly touch on. It's uh, John chapter 20. Did you have anything else about 17 there, Becky? So in John chapter 20, um, it's post-resurrection now, and Jesus is appearing to um, Mary Magdalene and his disciples, and he's appeared to his uh, to all of the disciples except for Thomas at one point, and they're all all of the disciples are are, are incredibly excited because the the miraculous has happened. The thing that Jesus promised would happen has actually happened, and he's come he's he's come back from the grave, and he's alive. They can see him, hear him, touch him, eat with him. Um, but Thomas hasn't experienced this, and because of that, he's skeptical because he hasn't seen with his own eyes. And in uh, John chapter twenty, I'm just going to read you the the encounter Jesus has with Thomas. Think about this as the coming of spring. So that Thomas uh, has been in winter, his beloved has has died and been uh, killed in a brutal way, and all they did hope for died with him, and he hears this hope, hope of spring, but he can't quite believe it. He's still living in winter, and so he has this encounter with Jesus. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it until I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers in them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Well, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And Jesus is saying a blunt and true thing here. He's he's not um, scolding Thomas. He's just saying the people that believe without seeing, wow, that's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing when they do that. And look, gang, we are those people. We, we don't have the opportunity to physically touch the wounds of Jesus, to be physically in his presence and hear his voice. And he's saying to, to those of you headed to spring, if you believe in me, the reality of me, that I have conquered death and come back to life, and that life cannot be defeated by death, and that if you're connected to me, attached to me, remaining in me, that my life is real and will fill you with life. I love how Jesus, in his own humble way, immediately turns his attention to Thomas and says, Thomas, come here, experience life. And I love Thomas's response. Just words on a page, I don't think do it justice, but Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. He's just overcome with love and emotion in that moment. It all is coming home to him that What seemed sure to be uh, a permanent season of winter is going to turn into spring, because Jesus has conquered death. What do you think about when you see this this little interaction here, Becky? Anything pop into your head? I I do think, and we're going to get to the practical wrap-up part of this, that I do think that in order to survive a catastrophic event like this, that part of that is that it's okay if you have doubt in your heart about what is ahead of you. That's good. Um, it's okay if you look ahead and every day you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. And God, I'm I'm worried about that. And I, I'm having a hard time trusting that. I think that's normal. What happened with Thomas is normal. And, and oftentimes we look at this story and we think, oh, don't be like Thomas. You know, don't have doubt because that's bad. He said, blessed are the other people. But I think what Rick said is true is it's okay to have doubt when you're in this kind of event. You know, we lost one of my cousins when she was 21 during childbirth, and I watched my aunt have to suffer that doubt um, about the, the 
the journey ahead. And, and that took years and years for her to, to be able to heal from that catastrophic event in her life. And so when you're going through something like this, I think it's okay to say, God, I don't know what's ahead. And it's a little scary. And it's okay to, I just love what you just said, Becky. It's so important that that uh, this negative connotation we have on Thomas's yeah. doubt is wrong. Um, his doubt was beautiful in the sense that how Jesus responded to his doubt was to sh- was to invite Thomas to touch him, to be intimate with him, to to not just believe because he's standing across the room, but to invite him to physically touch him, and to to see that it's true that the thing that he couldn't believe could be true is true. And you know what, gang, if you're in this place of doubt, it's also okay to ask Jesus, can I touch you? Can you somehow show me yourself in a, in a more real way than normal? Because I need that right now. It's okay. Even if it's a blessing to believe even when you don't have that assurance, and that's what Jesus is saying, wow, that's wow. remarkable. If you guys believe when you don't even see me, that's incredible. But he, he's not downplaying the fact that sometimes we need to touch him. We need evidence of his realness in our lives. It's okay to ask for that, and because look at how humbly Jesus responds to that request. He doesn't just say, look, I showed up, Thomas, see? He invites him to touch him. So let's, you know, the, I asked Becky yesterday to think through some of the ways that she has learned to grieve well in this progression toward uh, where her life is going, and some of the ways that she's been tempted to not grieve well, and and what she's learned about that. So what, why don't you go through those things, because I think it's really, it re- it's really helpful to understand this from the inside out. So a lot of people have asked me, how is it possible that for the last few months, or really the last year, um, as you've gone through tremendous loss that you've been able to do this podcast every week. (laughs) Um, And I just wanted to share that that has always been the grace that God has given me. We have often had times where um, we've done an episode and Rick's looked at me and been like, Becky, you're in the middle of this right now. And it's just been fine. It's just been fine because the grace of God has carried me through. So all the way to this episode, which I think has been my hardest one. But during this time, I really thought through what could I have done? What could I have been tempted into? And how did I choose to, to do a different thing? And so the first one I think has to do with attachment to the, to the vine. I could have been tempted to choose a posture of blame. And instead, I chose to trust the strength that was it within me. And especially when you're going through a divorce, it can be so tempting to just focus on the blame of the other person and to consume yourself in that. And I, I just chose to focus on what was ahead of me and not to look back. And, and of course, the, you know, it's been impossible to not have to deal with some of the choices that were being made and laid before me, but I was always keeping my eyes forward. I could have downplayed how I really felt about what was happening, but I chose to um, entrust and name my emotions to Jesus and also to my close friends. I chose to to say what they were and to, to be honest about how I felt. And um, I could have chosen to keep my story private, but I chose to be brutally honest with other people and I was rewarded with their love and support. Um, and I want to just, just touch on this one because Sometimes I think the enemy likes to whisper in our ears that if people really knew what was going on, they would judge us. Hmm. They would think less of us. They would be like, oh, well, how could she have let that happen? How could she have not known? And it's so what happens is that keeps us from the reward of other people's love and support. And I think that you will be surprised how much um, your story will align with so many other people's stories that you thought had a perfect circumstance or um, had never been through that. I can't tell you how many people that I didn't even know had been married before and had gone through this, that opening up and sharing your story is leading towards a reward of people's love and support. And if Mm. you don't get that from someone, just move on. (laughs) (laughs) Just move on. I could have been paralyzed from moving forward from my fear 
Um, but I am, I embraced my trust in Jesus and his plan for my life. Um, and I think that's really about trusting the Holy Spirit. Um, we talked, you know, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is our guide and our advocate. And, um, we can trust, um, in the Holy Spirit and how it's leading us. I could have been allowed, um, allowed the fear of other people to topple me. And that this one was a hard one to beat back because I love and respect people. And I, and, but people will have opinions and they'll have strong opinions in this season of your life. Um, and it's so, I chose to stand my ground. Um, I chose to trust in what Jesus had already showed me and to stand my ground against the fear of other people. I, I want to pause just for a second there and we, we use this phrase, standing your ground. And uh, I just want to encourage you, those of you who are listening right now, we all need to stand our ground at points in our life, but our ability to stand is like trying to stand in the Category 8 earthquake. Uh, <laughs> We can't stand on our own when the forces at work are bigger than us, and this is the whole point of spiritual grit in the first place. There's grit, and then there's grit that is attached to Jesus, who all we gain His strength as we remain in Him. And so our strength to stand is this little tiny pea of our own, you know, pea, vegetable pea, <laughs> of our own strength, and then this colossal garden, vegetable garden, of his strength that we get when we, when we stand and remain in him. So the last one is, I could have chosen to be bitter and angry, but I chose to give grace and forgiveness. I, and, and that's also, I chose because I trusted that Jesus was true in what he said about that grace and forgiveness was as much for myself as it was for the other people involved in that um, I couldn't I I couldn't stay trapped in a cage of unforgiveness. I had to choose to treat everyone in this situation with grace and forgiveness, and that was the only way forward for me. And all that Becky just shared is really what you might call the mechanics of lament. These are ways that you move through your grief, move through winter, with an expectation that spring is on its way. And if there is a message from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it is that spring is on its way in the person of Jesus. It's not a, another season. Jesus is the season. <laughs> he is life, and he is on his way. So, gang, we're, we've come to the end of episode six. Uh, I want to let you know that as Becky heads off into the unknown here, we're going to kind of follow the Spirit <laughs> into the future, and uh, I've told her that I would love for her to be on this podcast uh, on a semi-regular basis, and she's open to that, unless the Spirit of Jesus takes her in another direction where that's not possible. And so we're both open to it, and we'll see what happens with that. But. And also, we do have a plan. Um, Rick is, <laughs> Rick is forgetting that we do have a plan. So <laughs> The, the This show is going to continue. I don't want anyone to think this is the final episode. It's right. not the final episode. We do have a plan, and that plan is that next for the next um, few weeks of February, we released the books that you asked for. They're called the Practical Guides, the Jesus-Centered Practical Guides, and we're going to be interviewing—well, not me. Rick's going to be interviewing— the author of those practical guides, Michael Kiefer. And these are, you know, when we talk about core strength, these are the core strengths. How do I read the Bible? How do I pray? Um, how do I know God's will? So we are going to be looking at those in more depth. And then in addition to that, Rick's going to be doing some pretty fabulous interviews with people who have grit stories. And I'm going to help him come up with a list of those people. So <laughs> from behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, so there, this this is going to be a new season of this podcast. It's just going to be a new season. That's all that it's going to be. And you guys will continue um, to learn and grow from paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. What's interesting in even saying it's a new season is that um, when we move through these seasons— we also move through years of seasons. So life continues, even though the seasons continue as well. And out of winter comes new new life, and, and we expect that to happen with this podcast as well. We believe that this is something that Jesus wants to happen, and we're just trying to be faithful into the future. So we don't know what it's going to look like either, but we know life is on the other side of, of all of this, and we'll continue to explore what that looks like. 
Remember, you can find out more information about everything we've talked about today and the links that uh, Becky talked about uh, by going to PayingRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. There, there you can find our podcast section. Um, you're looking for Season 3, Episode 6. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest podcasts. And uh, I will be talking to you again next week with Michael Kiefer. It'll be a fascinating conversation, and the rest of the month of February we'll be focusing on the down-and-dirty basics of what you do on a day-in, day-out basis to allow Jesus to grow strength in you um, through three particular spiritual practices we'll be exploring. So we'll see you again next week. Bye. Bye.